Welcome to the Innovative Pedagogy Podcast, where we inquire with the greatest minds in academia, where innovation, creativity, and authenticity meet the best teaching and learning practices for educators all over the world. Most importantly, hoping all those we come in touch with leave inspired and ready to change their world. Here's our host, Chris Garcia. Welcome, everyone, to the Innovative Pedagogy Podcast. I am your host, Chris Garcia, and I am really excited to be able to finally have an episode where I'm able to talk to you all about something that's really, really been pressing on my heart, but at the same time, it's been a controversial topic within education, and that is the idea of critical race theory. Uh, I have had conversations with different uh, people that are not in academia that uh, gather their news from different news outlets on all sides of the spectrum. And uh, they've always asked me, like, well, what is your take on it? I've also, these are the same people that have also um, asked me about Common Core and uh, the thoughts of it. And uh, it's interesting to see that once they hear it from a teacher of how we view it, how we teach it, and for the most part, we don't even call it critical race theory, at least in my network of teachers that I've worked with and the teachers that I've talked to on Twitter. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost as if that's the title that's been given to us uh as as a curriculum so um some of the things that i'm going to just kind of share are things that i learned within grad school um even things within college and as well um things that i have done within my classroom when it comes to these meaningful conversations that we're having um at the end of the day trying to teach students how to be critical thinkers critical learners and and whatnot so uh, let's go ahead and dive right in and i want to open up with a quote from um paulo ferrier he's a author of Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And I had the opportunity of reading this book about 13 years ago. Um, and then his quotes continually come up um, within this topic. And uh, it's, a, it's a very sociological book when it comes to just thinking of how the different demographics uh, throughout history, throughout time, throughout regions, throughout nationalities and ethnicities have received education and how it looks like different differently from even different affluent areas to areas that are title one areas and it's just good conversations to have and a good understanding to have and this is what he said in his book he said this he said education either functions as an instrument which is used to facilitate integration of the younger generation into the logic of the present system and bring about conformity or it becomes the practice of freedom the means by which men and women deal critically and creatively with reality and discover how to participate in the transformation of their world. So the idea behind this is just giving an opportunity for students to be able to climb out of the gap, giving people in general, doesn't matter religion, race, creed, color, your skin, none of that matters. As long as can you think creatively, can you think critically, can you look at your past, at someone else's past, ask questions and have wonderings? And at the end of the day, have that understanding of, okay, how can we as society make this better? How can we improve it? Uh, one of the key jobs in the early school years is to help students become independent learners, giving an opportunity to, so, to think on their own, asking them questions. One of the most important things that we do as teachers is finding ways 
how to ask questions. Uh, the idea of this comes um, back from just several things. Um, one of the things that we've learned even within grad school and things that have continued on, at least for the last 10 years that I've been involved with education, is the whole idea of design thinking and creating things that are like curriculum backwards design methods. Um, and what I mean by that is when you create curriculum, when you create opportunities of design thinking, you have to lead every single thing with a question, but not just the question, an essential question. Essential questions are one of those things where when you try to create them, they're very hard. A lot of times people try to pigeonhole asking questions by either being yes, no. And there are times for that. There are times where you just need a direct answer. But there are also times of just wondering, times of problem solving, times where you're asking an essential question. And an essential question, essentially, is pretty much begins with a what or how. So, for example, what do you think would have been the outcome if people would have responded to that pandemic differently? Or how did the people in your region respond to the pandemic? Just using something that's current and asking the question. If I were to ask that question on Twitter, I would have a plethora of answers. Answers that would be very, very different from different experiences, different challenges. Uh, if, if we just asked and keep that question in the United States, we know for a fact that there would be different states There'd be people that are very passionate about it. And there'd be people are saying, what pandemic? But if we were even asked people in different parts of the world, those are the things that essential questions bring. They bring an idea of having more questions than answers. Uh, this is some, a story that I, I constantly share with my students every single day uh, when I get a chance to teach um, their strengths, interests, and values and the idea of 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 building their lives on strengths um, and connecting those with careers uh, is uh, the idea of this concept known as RIASEC. And all it is is RIASEC is an acronym um, that was created from a psychologist known as John Holland. And his ideas was if we can have people understand their strengths and then tie those strengths in with different careers that exist. And as people tie in those careers, they're happier, they're more satisfied because they're actually working jobs that they enjoy. It's not just a dead end job. It's not something that they don't enjoy. They're actually working on things that, that bring them joy, that bring them strength, that give them life, that give them energy. And it's a really cool concept that, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of career development people use it uh, in industries. Uh, I know that uh, the San Diego Workforce Partnership uses it. Uh, when it comes to that, uh, even websites like mynextmove.org, if you're interested in hearing this podcast and you're wondering what are my rise strengths, just go to mynextmove.org, take the exam, you'll find the rise strengths there as an adult. But what if we make that more academically accessible, more accessible for students, kindergarten through eighth grade, and give them an opportunity to figure those things out? So that's one of the things with that is in the RIASEC, um, it's known as R-I-A-S-E-N-C. Uh, the letter I stands for investigative. And the point I'm trying to make without getting off topic is this, is that investigative uh, individuals that find themselves as investigative like asking questions. They're curious. Uh, they like academics. They like they, they like research. Um, and that happens to be one of my Ryaset codes. And uh, I share with my students every single day that growing up in high school, uh, I had different experiences 
And it wasn't until the age of maybe 16 and 17 uh, when I was living in uh, South Texas and uh, being born and raised in Southern California and then having to move to Texas, having to move to Texas, uh, one of the things that I had to experience was just a different breed, a different notion, a different demographic, a different mindset of individuals, uh, really awesome people down there, beautiful people. That's where my dad is from. I have family there. I love them to death. And uh, But I realized that there were a lot of differences within our cultures. Uh, and it's ironic because I'm Hispanic. I'm Mexican. I have half of my family there. I have blood ties to this region of Texas. And yet I'm born and raised here in Chula Vista in San Diego. Uh, and uh, I have different experiences over here. But the, the reason why I bring that up is the question that came to my mind was when I was down there is like, why are people the way they are? Why do they do the things that they do? And I just started wondering, why are people the way they are? Now, I didn't know this, but when I started college later on, I realized that that is actually an essential question is of why are people the way they are? That's actually the essential question for psychology. Why is a person the way that person is? And then another one was, why is society the way it is? And, and that essential question actually ties into anyone that studies sociology. And... uh as soon as I found that out, I was like, what? This is the question I've been asking for the last three or four years. Of course, I'm going to major in this. Of course, I'm going to study this. So I majored in college in sociology. I did my I did two years at a junior college. Shout out to all the junior college attendees. Nothing wrong with that. And then transferred to UC Davis and continued on my sociological academic experience there. And as I was there, uh, I, I left with more questions than answers. Uh, there were certain answers I did have. There was ways of learning about those. I took some anthropology classes. I took some psychology classes. Uh, the different sociology classes I took was sociology of law, sociology of gender, uh, and even First Amendment right classes. Uh, and in my capstone project as a senior, I actually had to do an in-depth study of, of Beijing, China, and the way the, the sociological and even some of the laws were there for some of the economic challenges that they were facing and things that they would do across the globe. And at the end of the day, I had more questions. And I say all of that because when you can ask more questions and you have more questions and answers, that allows you to think. That gives you the opportunity to think a lot more critically. Now, if you know me, I... I like to think to myself as a friend to all and enjoy the vast variety of friends that I have from all walks of life. And uh, rightly so. I mean, as someone that enjoyed studying sociology, I just, I, I always ask the question and I'm not, and, and if you're listening to this and you're a close friend, don't think that I'm asking the question of like, why are you the way you are? If we've been friends for a long time, I don't even ask that. I just enjoy the presence. Um, but even then, I, that's something I still work with, even with students. And I love it because I like, why is my student the way he, that student is? And by asking that question, I have a lot more empathy. But one of the things that it is, is I have some friends that are extremely conservative um, and uh, extremely on the, um, just the idea of uh, where they stood with, a lot of the pandemic challenges and uh, things that 2020 brought us. Uh, I mean, I would say the biggest things were was definitely the 
virus that hit the world. In addition to that, the political movement of what happened between the transfers of power and also just the racial tensions that we had to deal with. I mean, for me, those were the big three of 2020. And we're still dealing with some of the residue from all of that. But uh, I love engaging with people on all sides. It doesn't matter where you stand. Um, I just like asking questions and wondering. And uh, one of the things that some of my friends brought up was question everything. Question everything. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Question everything. But then yet, these are also the type of friends where like they don't agree with certain topics being taught in schools. And I'm like, but but you said question everything. And again, good teaching questions everything. Just like you said. Ask good questions. And guess what? Sometimes the answer can be, I don't know. Or let me get back to you on that. And I, and I, I feel like if we were have those responses more, we wouldn't see as many arguments or even people counseling each other or people getting in fights and whatnot. But it is our duty as teachers to teach all of our students to answer questions. Now, let me get into some standards here. And if you're wondering, what do you, what do you mean standards, Mr. Garcia? Uh, common Core state standards. All right. And if you're like, oh, great, I, I'm not going to deal with that. The math, uh -uh, I'm not, I, I'm not going to be doing that. And one of the things I'm going to say is, um, I would have to say that Common Core standards, I personally think they're awesome. I think they're great. Being personally taught California state standards. I enjoyed my California missions. I enjoyed learning about in math. I, I definitely enjoyed about learning uh, of mixed fractions and whatnot. Um, as a sixth grade teacher, I will say that uh, I actually enjoy teaching pre-algebra now in sixth grade. And uh, I didn't get to learn pre-algebra until I was in uh, at the end of seventh grade. So there's just different shifts that have happened. Just a quick story when it comes to just even being able to give access to students is that I had a second grade student once. Uh, I'm sorry. I had a sixth grade student that was at a sec second grade reading level. So their Lexile level. And if you don't know what that is, just go ahead and Google it. For all my teacher friends, you know what exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he's basically at a second grade reading level. And we were doing a multiplication of fractions exercise. <clears throat> and for multiplication of fractions, it's just really simple. It's just you pretty much just multiply uh, the fractions uh, straight across. It's not one of those things we have to find a common denominator. If other, if you're adding, subtracting, dividing, or even dividing, it's you flip the reciprocal and whatnot. But this student struggled with that. This particular student struggled. And one of the things in Common Core is not only to learn the algorithm. That's actually you could still learn the algorithm. So parents out there that are like, oh man, they're taking the algorithm away. No, we're not. It's other ways of learning it. Learning through the algorithm. Learn it through telling a story. Learn it through drawing a model, which is the biggest one. And those are the ones that I know a lot of parents were frustrated. Uh, this specific student struggled with multiplication tables. But when it came to drawing the model, I don't know what clicked in his brain, but something clicked in his brain to the point where, hey, I am able to actually do this. This is awesome. I can actually do this. Uh, so that's where he stood. He stood very successful. And for him, he was excited to be able to do that. And the reason why was because he was keeping up with the rest of his classmates. 
All right. He was keeping up with the rest of his classmates. And the idea behind that was like, hey, I, I, I am able to keep up with you. I might do it differently. I might do the model first and then I'll do the algorithm with other students. I'll do the algorithm first and then I'll draw the model. All right. So one of the things I wanted to bring up was is this is that in Common Core state standards, uh, they began to roll out in 2012. And then, of course, it became a little bit more of a of ex it actually became an expectation within uh, 2013. Um, I know of private schools in San Diego that actually use it. I've collaborated with teachers. It's just funny because I know a lot of parents are like, oh, I'm not having my kids go. To, I'm having my kids go to a private school. So they're not taught that common core stuff. And then yet I look at some of the homework and uh, of my interactions with students that do go to private school. And I'm like, this is exactly what I teach at a public school. And I don't know. I think it's just packaged differently. I hope parents aren't feeling like they're being duped. But but one of the things I want to bring up is the idea of one of the biggest writing pieces in sixth grade is being able to write a uh, argumentative piece. And uh, the Common Core State Standards, if you go to corestandards.org uh, core and you look at the literacy, the writing part, it says this is that overarching writing standard is California State Standard uh, 6.1. It says this, write arguments to support claims with clear reasons and relevant evidence. Okay. And then there's different parts. There's A, B, C, D, E. So there's basically subcategories of it. And it says this. First one is this. Introduce claims and organize the reasons and evidence clearly. All right. And then after that, it says for part B, support claims with clear reasons and relevant evidence using credible sources and demonstrating an understanding of the topic. All right. And then it says this. Part C, use words, phrases, and clauses to clarify the relationships among the claims and reasons. And in part D, it says establish and maintain a former a formal style. And in part E, the subcategory, provide a concluding statement or section that follows from the argument presented. Okay. So that is part of it. Um, other things that come out of this uh, is the idea of using technology uh, to uh, find and using different uh, credible media sources as well. Uh, that's also found in it. It's part of standard 6.6. Uh, .6. uh, the other thing is this, though, um, that I want to bring up is that one of the things that I would do with my students in this argumentative paper was to teach them to take, one, choose your stance. And make sure that you have credible resources to support that stance. But I would go above and beyond and ask them also as well. Because this is something that as they continue to move forward within 7th and 8th grade and they continue to write argumentative papers. We didn't always have a chance to do this because the level of learning was always different. Uh, maybe some students had a chance to master this uh, because it wasn't a requirement. But to prepare students for 7th and 8th grade. We would have students also write a counter argument. And the reason why we did that was if you take a stance on something, that's great. What are the evidences from the other side? You're very passionate about this certain topic. What are the evidence pieces from the other side? So by doing that, it gives students an opportunity to think critically and look at both sides of the story. All right. So. All in all, by doing that, it gives them an opportunity to say like, hey, I take a stand here, but I see where you're coming from. And one of the things I would always tell my students is you have to sound convincing even on the other side. 
I want you to sound convincing. You want to know both sides. Always know both sides of the story. Uh, one of the things that I didn't learn is that I always remember 19, uh, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. All right. That is something that you learn, Columbus Day, all these other things. It wasn't actually until I got to college that I started reading about the mass murders and the horrific things that Columbus did. Later on, I found out within my family history that Hernan Cortez uh, was related to my grandfather's side, uh, one of my grandfathers, and the history goes back down to that, and I was ecstatic. I was like, oh, wow, that's right, everyone. Better watch out. One of the conquistadors out there from the European age of exploration is related to me. This is awesome, all right? Um, and for those wondering, is it your Texas side or California side? It's more my California side. So if you're a cousin listening from California, uh, then it's, yeah. And if you're related to my grandfather, it's that side. All right. If you're a family listening from Texas, that's another story. Great history there too. But, um, but this one, uh, I was, I was, I was excited for like five minutes. Seriously. It was only five minutes because then later on I was like, let me look them up. And then I look them up and I'm like, oh, dang. And for me, I was like, I'm not going to cancel him. I'm like, man, where did he go wrong? Why did he do this? What was his control for power? I started looking at the different um, the different explorers from the ages of exploration and the things that drove them. Started learning things about Columbus and Hernan Cortez and all these other ones. You know, even Cabrillo here from San Diego, Cabrillo Monument. And just kind of like, okay, what was their life like? What was society like? Why did they do the things they did? It goes back to that essential question. So those of you that are wondering, all right, okay, so what does this have to do with critical race theory? All it has to do is this, is that teachers, for the most part, should just be, they're asking questions. I'm not going to say you should or should not be doing something. But at least in my classroom, in the network that I'm connected with, they're asking and they're teaching students to ask questions. And more importantly, what can we learn from history to not repeat the same mistakes? What can we learn from history to not repeat the same mistakes? All right. Now, I can't speak for all educators out there, but I'm giving you at least some form of understanding from what I've experienced as a teacher, what I do. Uh, the topics, I mean, you can bring up specific topics, but I'm trying to look more at the overarching picture. All right. Because my at the end of the day, it is my duty to provide a rigorous experience. And to give students an opportunity to think critically ask good questions, reflect on those questions, and ask themselves, what can I do better? How can I influence this? What can I do to change this? What can I do? So that is it. That is my take. And if you really want to think like, where did you get all this from? What's the basis? This is pretty much kind of like the overarching idea, the introduction, the tip of the iceberg. All right. So if you're listening out there, please don't get upset at me. Don't cancel me. Uh, but this is just when it comes to like culturally responsive teaching, being sensitive to those out there, being able to understand. All right. Look, let's look at this culture. Let's look at this era. Let's look at this time. Let's ask some questions. And what can we learn from here? Um, I could be bitter. I could be upset. I could cancel some of my last names that I have because of the associations it has with history. But I'm not going to do that. Because in my case, I mean, I don't have the last name Cortez attached to me, but it's in my bloodline. 
then why don't I rise to the occasion and make that positive difference that I want to make? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dwell on the mistakes of my ancestors and the things, but I am gonna look at like, okay, what drove them? What are things that maybe I need to look look out for? What are some strongholds from their side that I need to look at in my life and be like, all right, I'm not gonna repeat that. I'm not gonna do that. I mean, one example from another great, great grandfather I had is he had 42 kids. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Sorry. Not, I can't, I don't want to do that. I know my wife doesn't want to do that. Um, We'll be thankful with at least one, two, three, maybe, I don't know. When she finishes law school, I don't know. But (laughs) I look back and I major props to them, the way they were able to handle it, the way they were able to survive and live. But Again, it's just we look at the past and let's not go too far. I'm pretty sure a lot of us, even if we just look at our parents, whatever, however they raised us, there was good things from their lives. And there was things that we probably don't appreciate or there was things that we just don't um, respect, maybe. So all in all, I say that to say this. It's important to ask good questions of where we've been. So that way we can know where we're going. And I really hope I encourage a lot of teachers out there to pretty much become that investigative researcher where you're asking good questions. And even if your student comes up with a conclusion, that conclusion can change. Because we as human beings, we're always changing. Our vantage points, our viewpoints, our things of life. Things can always change. The last story I'll share is this, is that with my students, I constantly share that one of the things about being an investigative individual is you have critical assessment. And what critical assessment is, if you ever ask someone a question and they're like, yeah, let me think about that. Let me get back to you. And uh, I always tell them that growing up, if people were to ask me something, I'd probably want to have an answer right away without thinking about it. Yep, here's my answer. Here's where I stand. Bam. And again, like I said, there's certain things in life like, yep, nope, I stand here clearly on this. My life is holding on to this standard right here. But there's other things like, you know what? Let me think about that. Let me get back to you. I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's important for a lot of us as teachers to really just drive the message home. Hey, let's be, let's have critical assessment. Let's ask good questions. Let's ask questions about the past. And that is pretty much a tip of the iceberg of what I've learned so far from culturally responsive teaching and the things that I've done to support my students. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I am so thankful that a lot of you had an opportunity to check us out. Uh, I do have an upcoming episode regarding mental health that we're going to be diving into. A really cool guest, former uh, student teacher as well at my school site. And USD alum, shout out to my fellow USD Toreros out there. And then the month after that, we'll be diving into some classroom management. So that one's going to be really fun. Uh, I will not spoil it, but that one's going to be fun. Uh, Post-COVID classroom management uh, it has been an extreme challenge, even this morning on Twitter. One of the biggest challenges a lot of people were facing is apathy from students, disrespect, talking back. Like, this is real stuff that... I mean, if it was maybe one or two students before before the pandemic, I've clearly seen where it's become like now half the class with the classes that I get a chance to see on a daily basis. 
So um, all in all, thank you so much. If you would like to um, submit a question, if you'd like to be part of the podcast, please email me at cbgarcia at sandiego.edu. And make sure, please, I need everyone to do me a favor. I know we've been on a hiatus for a while, but please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a great rating uh, on it. And if you don't think it's great, email me first and tell me what could I do to make it better. Uh, and uh, we're going to take feedback on that. But subscribe, share it on your social media platforms and whatnot. But other than that, have a great day, a great drive, wherever you're at. Be safe, uh, be smart, ask good questions, and I will catch you all later on the flip side. All right, take care.